But it's good to be here tonight. I'm excited for Chris and Miranda. Things seem to be going well with, did I get it right, Zeke? Is that right? Zeke, all right, that's exciting. Uh, the, uh, uh, I have to say, Kent and Chris have a slightly different sound. Is that an understatement? <laughs> Just a little bit. I, I, about a 30-year difference. But I'll be honest with you, Kent, I hate to say this, my beat works better with you. <laughs> I think that might be saying something about my age, do you think? <laughs> Yeah, you can't hide him. I, you know you're from Kentucky if the only thing you can keep beat with or time with, and I can't dance, I can't keep rhythm, I can't clap, I want to, I can't. I'd love to have been able to dance, I, I can't. If you've seen Elaine on Seinfeld, I own that. You know, I can't do it, just not there. Uh, but, uh, but the only thing I can keep time with is bluegrass. Seriously, when they do bluegrass, I can't keep time with anything, but I can hit the beat every time on that. But anyhow, uh, I, I'm so glad to be back tonight. Glad you're here. Uh, just a, um, a couple things I thought, I hate to shift gears out of worship into talking a little bit about me, but I will. Uh, y'all, y'all know that I'm a sports nut. If you haven't been here, I am like sports crazy. And I got to go to a football game. I enjoyed going to the football game with Bob this weekend. That was fun, or Thursday night was fun. I was just kind of kidding when I said, has anybody got a ticket? And woo, I'm going to kid some more. But uh, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan, a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. And, uh, but anyhow, uh, no, I had a good time. That was fun. But I'm a sports nut. I guess it goes back to my days of playing big time basketball. You know, y'all can probably imagine that I was pretty good. Uh, actually, I was horrible. I was this tall when I was in sixth grade, so I was the center on the Niagara basketball team, the elementary school. Now, I, I know that's hard for you to believe, but literally, I stopped growing when I was like 12 years old. That's an awful thing for a guy. I thought I was going to be a giant. I looked up to like Wilt Chamberlain, stuff like that, and I'm going to be Shaquille O'Neal or whatever. I end up being five foot eight with shoes on, you know. But it is the way things go. So I gave up on basketball because people outgrew me pretty quickly. Uh, so I took to baseball. And to be honest, I, I was pretty good. I, I was a good high school pitcher. Um, I went on to play a little bit of college baseball, uh, but, but small college. But I held a record at Henderson County High. And Henderson County had like my gra graduating class had 614 in it. So that tells you a little bit about the size of Henderson County School, big school. Uh, got to play baseball with them. Held the record from 1988 till 2001, I believe it was, for most wins for a high school pitcher. And I was really excited about that. It was really good. Now, to be perfectly honest, in full disclosure, I played with two guys who started in the SEC. And when you have two teammates who are as good as those guys were, you can be very average and look really good. And I found out I was very average when I went to college. But uh, in high school, I won a lot of games, partially because I threw as hard as I threw in college when I was in, like, seventh grade. You know, so I started playing high school ball in eighth grade and pitched for five years high school ball. And so I was, for a while, for 15 years, the all-time winningest pitcher. Now, our coach, he took things really serious, and he put, like, your plaque up on his wall, lowest ERA, most wins, highest batting percentage, all-time wins. And so I had a plaque on the wall, most career wins, most wins in a season, and I loved it. I mean, I hate to admit that. But I loved it. I did. I liked it. My name was up there. But, oh, they had a kid who was just an all-star, all-star, who knocked it out of the park playing in the major leagues now. Just a great, great pitcher. 
he, uh, he, he broke records. So uh, I was up there a couple years later visiting my mom and dad, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go by the office and visit Billy Tom. Well, I went, that, that was my coach. I went and visited BT, and, uh, and uh, we talked for a few minutes and didn't want to act like I was, like, anxious about this. But after about five minutes, I said, hey, BT, you know, I know somebody broke my record. He said, oh, they did? I said, yeah, they broke my record. I would like to get the plaque that you put up on the wall. I'd like to kind of have that. He said, oh, Nick, I didn't think you'd want that. I threw that away. Ooh. Guys, know this. If you live long enough, your trophies will all become trash. You know, just write it down. What you live for and what you think is really important, what you're chasing after, if it doesn't hold water, it'll be gone one day. Uh, You know, bigger bank account, you'll get so old that one day it won't matter. You know, chasing after experiences, one day your body won't hold up to where those are that fun. You know, you, you, you get degrees and things after your name and whatnot, and for a while that, that prestige that comes with that seems really good, but then after a while even that fades away. The Bible says we're all in what is called bondage to decay. We, and, and you'll figure this out as you get older. You're, you're in chains to decay, and you can't do anything about it. That's why the gospel is such a treasure to us, that the fact that Jesus loved us and he died for us, because the gospel, the good news that Jesus connects you with God is the only thing in this world that doesn't lose its value. That's it. You see, when you're 80 years old, if you live to be 80, or 90 years old, if you live to be 90, and you're lying on your deathbed, and your body won't work, and everything else has failed, and your relationships are gone, and all, yada, 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 you take all of that stuff away, that gets better, because you're getting closer to seeing the joy of seeing the Lord face to face. The faith we have in Jesus is the only thing that lasts forever. And so that's why I pray that you know the treasure of the gospel and that you have it in your heart and your life because it's it. I mean, that's it. Nothing else. I mean, I'd love to think that my kids are going to be at home and going to be little forever, but they're going to be gone. And I'd love to think that my wife and I are going to be married 75 years and then have 75 more ahead of us. It's not going to happen, guys. I'd love to think that I'm going to be in good enough health to climb up in a deer stand whenever I want to. I'd love to think that I'm going to be in good enough health to go out and play golf whenever I want. It's not going to happen. I'm in bondage to decay. We're all there. But the gospel never changes. So I pray you got it. I pray you know it. Um, let me tell you one other story and we'll get into the Bible. Okay, I, I was at seminary in Louisville. How many of y'all are pretty familiar with Louisville? Any of y'all? Okay. In Louisville, the seminary, the Southern Baptist Seminary, is on Lexington Avenue in Louisville. Okay, Lexington Avenue becomes Shelbyville Road, and that's where I think the St. Matthews Mall is at the end of Shelbyville Road. So to kind of get a picture, Shelbyville Road is this six-lane monstrosity of a road with a, a, a turning lanes in the middle and people driving way too fast. They don't drive like they do between, like, you know, uh, the interstate in Burlington. You drive slow there. Y'all must have like a thousand policemen because everybody drives like 12 mile an hour between here and the interstate. On Shelbyville Road, they do 60 if they want to. That's kind of the way. If you can make it, you go, and that's life there. But then all of a sudden, you turn on this little Lexington Avenue, and you're at seminary, and it's this quaint little Mayberry right in the middle of Louisville. Shelbyville Road intersects with Breckenridge Lane in Louisville. There's six lanes of traffic and a turning lane there, too. So you've got this big conglomeration of this intersection. Well, one night, me and guys who were going to seminary together decided that we, we, we went up on Thursday night, we'd go to class, we'd stay over and go all day on Friday. That's the way us full-time guys got done. 
But we were, became a close-knit group, and we'd go out to eat every time after we got done with class on Thursday night, and we decided we were going to go to Pizza Hut on Shelbyville Road. Now, we leave that little Mayberry. We go to the six lanes. We're hitting that intersection, and while we're stopped there, we're, I'm, I'm looking across, and in the turning lane, there is a Lexus parked in the turning lane, turning off of Shelbyville onto Breckenridge Lane. And that was back in the day before you didn't see many Lexuses. That was like years ago, and if you had a Lexus, you really had something. You know, and now, now there's still something now, don't get me wrong, but they were really something back then. You just didn't see hardly any of them. They weren't kind of Americanized at the time. Well, I saw this. I thought, wow, look at that car, guys. All of a sudden, there's this old pickup truck, and I'm really going to date myself, but it looked like Sanford and Son pulling up. This old beat-up pickup truck comes up behind in the turning lane, and opens his door while this car stopped. And I thought, oh my goodness, guys, we're going to see a carjacking right here in the middle of Lexington. Well, apparently she knows the guy because the lady opens up the door and they talk to one another. Their light must have turned because he runs back to his truck. She closes the door. She turns left. He turns left. But she didn't realize when she opened her door, her purse fell out. No, we're here in Louisville and the lady in Lexus has lost her purse. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness. I got to go get this. So I said, pull over. And so they pulled over, and I played Frogger across all these lanes of traffic, got the purse, took it back, went to the, we went on down to the Pizza Hut, and I felt bad about it, but I had to go through the purse to figure out whose it was to, to call the person. Well, I opened it up, and I look at her driver's license, and it says she's 26 years old, and guys, she's drop-dead gorgeous. Pretty, pretty lady. Her name, we're going to call her Lisa. I didn't know how to get a hold of Lisa, so I had to dig a little bit further, and I found a business card, and she was an attorney at law. There was an emergency contact number on her card, and so I called it. And uh, I, I, said, I said, not the right way to start this conversation, but it's what I did. I said, ma'am, I've got your purse. And I probably didn't sit real well with her, but I said, ma'am, I've got your purse. And I, and she, I said, I'm at the Shelbyville Pizza Hut, if you'd like to get it, you dropped it whenever you were at the turning lane there. She said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't know what had happened to it. And so she said, I'll be there. It'll take me about 20 minutes. And I said, no problem. We're, pizza hadn't come yet. And while she's driving there, I'm starting to feel like God telling me I'm supposed to talk to her about how great Jesus is and the love of God. Well, you know, and, and I made the mistake of telling the preachers I was with that God was telling me to do that. Because once you tell somebody you're like stuck... You know, like I told him, I'm supposed to share with her. And I was like, then I was like, oh, no. And the whole time she was coming, I was feeling this, like, lump in my throat. You know, that kind of feeling like, oh, what am I going to say? I mean, what am I supposed to tell her? You know, I, I, you know, you could have a better life. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're driving a Lexus. You're 26. You're a lawyer already. You, you're dropped dead. What am I supposed to tell her? You know, you could have much better. You could be my. I had no idea what I'm going to share with this lady. And so uh, time comes for her to. Uh, get there and we're done with our pizza and I asked one of the guys I said hey man I, I feel like God wants me to talk to her and I want you to be out there when I do you know and so I asked a guy to go out there with me because I mean that's you know the way you do things and uh, uh, when she drives up I, she drives up and says oh thank you and she reaches out to get her purse and I said well I feel like I need to talk to you <laughs> which probably wasn't the right way to start that conversation either <laughs> but I said I feel like I need to talk to you and I really didn't know what I was going to say next but these words came out of my mouth I said, I know it looks like you have your life all together. And before I could get my next words out, 
she breaks down and leans over on the steering wheel and starts sobbing. I mean, just sobbing. It took her probably 30 seconds to compose herself. And she said, it might look like my life's all together, but my life has fallen completely apart. I went on to, she got out of the car and talked to us for a while, and I shared the gospel with her right then at that moment. Guys, here's what I want you to know. There's nobody that's in a place in their life where they're completely holding water, where they're not leaking somewhere. They might look like they've got it together, but everybody is hurting somewhere. See, that's why we try to get more, because we think more will fix the leaks. That's why we try to have more people look at us and and say, oh, wow, look at them, they're doing something. We think more accolades will make us feel better. We think the more we achieve and the more we attain, the more people are going to think that we have our life together. But everybody, whether they live in the nicest house at, what is it, Traditions? Or live or not traditions, what's the golf course over here in Union? Triple Crown? Or whether they live in the most devastated shack in inner Cincinnati. Everybody. That's why the gospel is so important. Because people need what the gospel has. That's why as a church, we can't lose focus. See, we have. I have. I don't know if you have it, but I have. That which I know is going to be okay when I get 80 and can't go can't do i have that which is going to be okay even when the harshest things in this life have i have hope that god will one day restore all things make all things beautiful in his time Um, so we got to share that i had a mentor who used to tell me this he would say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing and as a church that's our task to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, you might ask, what's the main thing? Well, we might ought to ask Jesus. Jesus said his main thing in Luke 19.10. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And I'm just cheesy enough to believe that the church ought to say if it was good enough for Jesus to do, it ought to be good enough for us. And our job as a church should be to go after lost people and tell them the good news, that Jesus holds water, that, that faith in him it, it, it lasts. It doesn't leak. Uh, uh, problem is, religious people struggle with this. People out there don't know what's going on, but people in here sometimes we struggle with understanding that that real life change for it to come to people out there. It's our job to take it out there. It's our job to tell and to share. Uh, li- listen to. To this story. Our main text is Luke 15. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'll have them up here. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to Jesus. Guys, tax collectors and sinners loved Jesus. Jesus was a sinner magnet. He wasn't a religious, hit you over the head, hammer type of guy. He loved people where they were. The people in the church, now, granted, there was no church at this time, but the people in the religious organization, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They said, we don't get it. This man receives sinners and even eats with them. We don't know. Why would you ever like this guy? They liked him because he loved. 
And they liked him because he knew his mission and he was always on task. Now, what Jesus does is he explains his mission with telling three stories in like machine gun-like fashion. He tells a story about a shepherd who loses a sheep. He tells a story about a woman who loses a coin. And he tells a story about a man who has two sons and one of them takes off and a man loses his son. And what he's trying to do is to help them understand, look, I'm all about lost people. Uh, But while we look at these stories, we're also going to learn tonight what we have to be about if we're going to take life change to people who are lost outside of this place. Um, The first thing that I see is in the first parable here. Jesus tells them this parable, and he says, What man of you, having 100 sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? Now, just... Some people think the Bible is like way too complex to get. I want to show you how easy this is. You don't need a preacher to explain all the Bible to you. This is easy. All you really got to do is read it, okay? Let me show you. In this parable, Jesus is teaching a lesson. He's using a story, an earthly story, to give a heavenly meaning. So let's see if we can get the meaning together. Who is the shepherd in this story, do you think? Anybody want to guess? Who? Jesus, God, the Heavenly Father, Jesus, absolutely. Ding, 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 right answer. All right? So, we can get this. So, in this story, who do the sheep represent? Us, humanity. Okay? Now, all right, we're going to take a next step in Bible learning here. If the shepherd represents God and Jesus, God, the Father... If, if the shepherd represents God and the sheep represent people, then who does a lost sheep represent? Lost people, lost souls, us at one time, people outside of here who don't understand the good news that we have. Now, what is the main point then of this story? What is most important to Jesus? according to this parable. Lost people are the most important thing to Jesus. Wouldn't it be all right to make this jump and say, then shouldn't it be the most important thing to us? I mean, shouldn't that be? I mean, it's not that hard to understand the Bible. It's the, it should be, lost people should be our priority. Now, if we're going to share life change with other people, then what has to happen is we have to see a change in our priorities. Now think about this shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep, one goes astray, the one strays, you know, and all of a sudden things change. When all the sheep are here together, the shepherd is grooming, the shepherd is feeding, the shepherd is loving and caring for the sheep, but when one is gone, boom, he's got a new priority. Last Saturday I ran numbers at Heber, and it probably is pretty close for Burlington. I'd say those are pretty close communities, wouldn't you? I ran the numbers. You dropped a dot at Hebron Baptist Church, and you drew a 10-mile circle around there, protractor. 10-mile, big protractor, by the way. A 10-mile circle around Hebron. How many people do you think, now if you were in the early service today, don't give this away, but how many people do you think would fall in that 10-mile circle? Anybody want to guess? 397,698. 397,000 people. Best guess is 14% now are professing believers in Jesus Christ. 
And that is counting every denomination. Uh, excuse me, our attenders. Attenders, 14%. That means that there are about 52, 54,000 people who were in church today in that 10-mile ring, 400,000 people. 350,000 or so people. Not. Now let's assume half of them, now that's a big assumption, half of them love Jesus and are going to heaven. That's a big assumption. Y'all know that. Y'all know there's no way that's true. That still means there's 175,000 people right around us who don't know the hope that withstands anything. Now, Jesus would say the priority would be to tell those folks about the hope that you have. That should be the number one priority of the church. But the problem is in church, everything presses us toward internalization. We start thinking about ourselves and what we want and if it feels good to me and if I like it. And that's the way we live life. What we have to do as a church is we have to put our priorities toward the lost. Now, I want to warn you, this is risky. It's extremely risky. I mean, think about it. I mean, how risky is it for a shepherd to leave 99 and to go after one? You know, what if one of them gets bored? You know, you know I mean, what? that's probably not the noise a sheep makes, but uh, it is tonight. <laughs> what if one gets bored? Or what if, what if one of them says, you know, that shepherd, he only pays attention when you run off. I'm going to run off just so he'll pay attention to me. You know, I mean, it's a risky deal to go after lost. I work with 400 churches. For those of you who don't know me, I work with 400 churches during the week. And what I found is in churches where the church focuses on lost people, there's disgruntled sheep. But you know what I found? In churches that could care less about lost people, there's disgruntled sheep. There's disgruntled sheep everywhere. That's just, that's going to happen. You put, uh, there's disgruntled people everywhere, in church, outside of church. But that shouldn't change our mission. Now, it's risky, and I want to tell you, it's messy. You go after lost sheep. They are messy. They're very messy. Lost sheep are usually not in green pastures and beside still waters. They're usually in uh, pits with slop up to their armpits, I guess. The sheep have armpits. But anyhow, you know, they, they're, they're in that messy world that they live in. Uh, and uh, we, we just got to acknowledge, if we go after lost people, we're going to deal with addictions. We're going to deal with people with messed up values. We're going to deal with people with broken relationships. We're going to deal with people who have unappealing personal attributes. And here's the deal. When you deal with lost people, you deal with their mess. That is the deal. And you know what else I found? When you bring lost people to church, they still sometimes act like lost people. And I'm going to make a confession to you. Sometimes I still act like a lost person. You might say, how could you? Well, isn't that what sin is? A person acting like they're not. And I don't know anybody who would say they still don't sin some. See, remember we've been talking about the last few weeks that this is a process deal, that we get saved and God delivers us. And for those of y'all who are not church people, let me just tell you, saved means when you find a hope that is outside of yourself, but your, your hope is in God. You believe in the cross and what Jesus did for you on the cross. See, we believe that the cross is the only way we can be right with God. And there's nothing we can do to be right with God. And so we have to put our faith and our trust in him. And when we put our trust in him, God covers our sin through what Jesus did on the cross. And it's like we're saved from a drowning, uh, in, in a drowning in the ocean or we're saved from an impending doom. You know, we're saved. But it gives us a hope inside. Well, uh, 
the, uh, the, the, I've been saved, but I'm still changing. I'm not all the way there yet. I mean, I'm at the head of the line of people who still have work to do. So why would we expect people who get saved who are really lost and really messed up not to have some of those quirks and sins still kind of lingering? Uh, let me tell you all about Pee Wee. Pee Wee is, uh, he was at Edgewood Baptist Church. I won't give you his real name. But Pee Wee was 10 years old, raised rough, parents gone, in and out, no parents. By about 12 years old, he's on his own. He was in the neighborhood where our church was, where I used to pastor. When I say Edgewood, that's my former church in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Okay, He was in this church I used to pastor, and but he, he wasn't there when I arrived. He had become a 30-year-old man, and Pee-wee was rougher in a cob. He'd fight you at the drop of a hat. He cussed like a sailor. I mean, he was rough, 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 rough dude. Well, one day Pee-wee shows up in church, and he said about right over in this area, and there was plenty of room for Pee-wee because everybody was scared of him. You know, So he came into church, and he sat there and listened for about, I don't know, four or five weeks. And about five weeks, he comes up at the end of service, and he says, I'm ready. I'm like, ready for what? <laughs> you know? He said, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Well, usually we baptize people like the next week. You know, we talk to them about what it means to follow Jesus, and baptism to us is a symbol that, man, I, I, Jesus has saved me, and I've given my life to him, and that's why we baptize people after they become believers, not like when they're babies, because we just want people to be able to tell folks, I believe. This is me. I believe. So that's kind of why we do that. And I, most time we'd baptize people like the next week, maybe two if they had family from out of town who were coming in. Well, with Pee Wee, I thought, I better wait four weeks just to make sure this sticks because he was so rough, I didn't know if it would or not, you know? And so the day for Pee Wee to get baptized, I always started uh, church the same way when we baptized. I'd be in the baptistry when, when the countdown would go off. And I said, we're so glad you're here today, man. What a great way to start service. This is the day the Lord has made. Uh, let's rejoice and be glad in it. Today we're going to baptize. I explained baptism. And then I turned up and said, today we're going to baptize Pee And I looked up and Pee Wee's grinning from ear to ear. And he has on a Budweiser shirt that stretches from about here to here. Now, if you weren't raised Baptist, that's not funny. But if you were raised Baptist, you get it. That was like taboo back then, you know. And I look up and I say, and I'm maybe 33 at this time. And I thought, what do I do? You know what I did? I baptized him. I turned him at a 45-degree angle, <laughs> and I baptized him. I changed my baptismal speech after that, but, but I, I baptized him because lost people are our priority, and we want people to move closer to the likeness of Jesus. And what if I'd done it the other way? I've never told this part of the story. What if I'd, what if I'd have handled it differently? Do you think I would have pushed Pee Wee closer to Jesus or farther away? You know, you kind of got to figure that stuff out because that's the goal is pushing people toward Jesus. Um, second lesson, to take life change outside of us, we just have to work hard. The second parable, we'll go through this one a little quicker. It says, what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, you might think, who would look that hard for a coin? And I get that. I mean, you know, my kids won't get off the couch for a penny. You know, I mean, y'all understand. I mean, I, I won't either, you know. So it's just, who would look that hard? Well, if you can't imagine this, women, imagine you lose your diamond ring. You're going to look. And if you can't imagine that, when my kids were, my oldest daughter was uh, uh, young, she had a sleepy time Barney. 
That was Barney like in pajamas, and she couldn't sleep unless she had Sleepy Time Barney. And if she didn't sleep, we didn't. So we found Sleepy Time Barney. If he was missing, we found him, you know? And if you can't imagine looking that hard for like a, a diamond ring or Sleepy Time Barney, imagine if you lost the remote control, man. You know, <laughs> you know how the, everything stops in our house when we lose the remote control. You're going to find that thing. You work hard if you lose something if it's important to you. You see, we've got to aggressively search. See, if I were to really ask you guys, if you search for stuff that's important to you in your life, be honest. Because, see, I think sometimes I don't want to give y'all at Thrive a pass. Because Thrive followers of Christ are the same as Sunday morning followers of Christ. Right? I mean, we're all in this following Christ. If it's everybody's main thing is to share with lost people, if lost people are valued by how hard we seek for something, are lost people valuable to you? Do you care that 325,000 people, 175 at best estimate, don't know? That's a, that's a big deal. We have to invest time, too. You've got to aggressively search, and you've got to invest time. Guys, you might go out of here tonight, and, okay, he told me I'm supposed to share. I'm going to beat him over the head, you know, you know, like somebody I don't know. I shared with Lisa because it might have been the only opportunity I got to share with Lisa in the car. But let me, t- let me tell you, here's the deal. If I hadn't found her purse, I don't know if she'd ever listen to me. Don't you think her purse was motivation to listen? And me returning the purse with everything in it probably increased her motivation to listen. I think you increase people's motivation to listen to you when you invest in them and you love them and you treat them like a person and not a number and you care about them and you pour into their life. Well, you say, well, that's a lot of work. How will we ever win everybody? I don't know, but Jesus, that's what he did. He ate with sinners. I think that's who we've got to be. Um, I, I think there's another type of work that has to be done. We have to provide an attractive environment for, uh, for, for lost people. The third story, the third parable. Some of y'all know the story. Y'all know the story of the prodigal son. You've heard the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, a man has two children. One of them is checking out on life, and he can't stand dad's house. He feels oppressed. One seems to be doing fine. The one who feels oppressed goes to dad and says, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to do my own thing. Would you give me money, my money, my inheritance money? It's like I'm checking out, and if you die in the meantime, I want to make sure that I get my portion of it. So he takes his portion of the inheritance, and he checks out, and he goes and lives a wild life, and he blows everything he's got. It gets so bad that he's eating it in a pig's, like, pen, slop. He wants the slop that the pigs are eating. That's bad for a Jewish kid. They couldn't even, like, touch and look at pigs. It was like a bad deal, you know. Uh, really, I, my daughter's in an archaeology class and a Bible class right now uh, online for her college. And one of the ways that the archaeologists could tell if they had found a Jewish settlement or not was they didn't have pig bones. All the other cultures right around them had pig bones because the pig was a big staple in their diet. So if they don't find pig bones, Jewish. 
This is how big a deal it is. This guy's in the pig pen. He's so hungry, I wish I could eat their food. And he comes to his senses himself, and he says, wait a minute. Dad's house is better than this. Hired hands in Dad's house have it better than I've got it. Your Bible might even say slaves in my dad's house have it better than I have it. Y'all see where I'm going with this? Church should be so attractive that people who find themselves leaking should say, they have it better than I have it. Now here's the question. Does anyone look at your life and say, Man, those folks at Burlington, I don't know what they got, but I want it. Those folks at that church down there, I don't know what they have, but I want it. I think that's our job, is to provide a warm, welcoming place. Um, (laughs) My first church wasn't like Burlington. Wasn't like my last church at Edgewood. Edgewood, we had like 19 staff members. Here we have... At my first church, we had me, and I had 19 jobs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, it was tough. And I mean, I was the pastor, youth minister, and I, you know, well, one Wednesday night, I'm doing youth ministry, and I'll give you a little clue. If you're at a smaller church sometime and you're trying to go youth, here's the key to growing a youth group. You know what it is? Get some dedicated girls. You know why that works? Because you will have guys. <laughs> I mean, that works. Well, we had two girls who really loved Jesus just at this little church of about 15 to 20 at this time. And these two girls started inviting their friends. We started having Bible study, my wife and I, at our home. And before long, we had five or six guys coming, you know. And two guys, Chad and Billy, and that's not their name, but we'll use that. Chad and Billy were, were every week they would come and they'd go home and they'd stay the night at Chad's house. I didn't think anything about it because I was a kid. And, I mean, we did the same thing, you know, during the summer. you hang out with one guy or the other guy all summer long. And that's just kind of how life went. Well, every week this happened, but then school started, and Billy kept going to Chad's house, have his suitcase ready to go. And I thought, man, something strange here. My parents would have never allowed that. I said, Billy, what gives? He said, well, Nick, did you know I'm Catholic? I said, no, Billy, I didn't know. He said, yeah, my mom doesn't know I'm coming to a Baptist Bible study, and I just tell her I'm going to Chad's house every week. I said, oh, Billy. He said, the Bible says you're supposed to honor your father and mother. I said, you need to tell your mom what you're doing. And uh, so he did. A couple weeks, I'm at the local IGA there in Lewisport, Kentucky, and I know uh, this day is coming, but I hear, Pastor Sandifer! I look over, and it's Billy's mom. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I need to talk to you. And I said, I thought you might. And uh, she came over and said, Billy told me what you said. I I appreciate that. And I said, well, ma'am, I thought it was the right thing to do. And she said, well, you know, we're Catholic. And I said, yes, ma'am, he, he told me. And uh, he said, well, I told him. I said, Billy, we're Catholic. <laughs> and she said, you need to know how he responded. I said, well, ma'am, what did he say? He said, he looked at me and said, Mom, I promise if you let me keep going there, I won't believe a thing they tell me. <laughs> yeah. You see what was going on? We were so fun to be around to Billy. He saw something in us he didn't have that he really wanted to keep connecting. I, I pray that Burlington will gain a reputation. Man, 
Those folks there loved people. Really, really, really loved folks. Uh, just real quick, I'm going to wrap up. But the cross is offensive to people. I, and I'm going to tell you, you might not understand that, but the cross is very offensive. If, you don't, if you're not a believer and the cross doesn't offend you, you don't understand what we're saying by the cross. Here's what the cross is saying. You're not good enough to go to heaven on your own. That's what the cross says. Now, if you don't think that's offensive, if you go out somewhere tonight or tomorrow night, tell the waitress that the preacher said you're not good enough to go to heaven on your own and see if that doesn't offend her. You know? See, what the cross says is we have a debt we can't pay and we deserve punishment that we uh, uh, can't bear. And so Jesus bore our sins and he took our punishment. And now we're forgiven and we're free. But while the cross is offensive to people who don't understand, it's beautiful to me, by the way. While, while the cross is offensive to people who don't understand, we shouldn't be. For far too long, church people have been the offensive ones, so much so that people never heard about the cross. You know? Our goal is for people to meet Jesus. And so we should be the welcomingest, is that a word? Nicest, warmest, lovingest. None of those are words, I don't think. But y'all get the picture. We should be good folks. Now, if we focus on lost people, here's what will happen. We'll have to deal with criticism. It'll happen. We will have to deal with it. Uh, sometimes that criticism happens from people outside. I mean, we live in a world where people say, how dare you share your faith? Do you know how stupid that is for people to say that? If we believe that Jesus is the greatest treasure on earth, and I believe that he holds up when everything else falls apart, it would be like me having a cure to cancer and not sharing that cure. That would be heinous. We have to share because we believe it's the truth. Uh, and some people don't like that. We live in a world where people say, well, your faith is private and you should keep it to yourself. And I want you to have what I have. I found a treasure and there's plenty. <laughs> you know, I want you to have it. But sometimes we have to deal with criticism from people inside. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go into this or share any of the scriptures up here, but if you read the rest of Luke 15, the story doesn't uh, end with uh, everybody rejoicing and saying everything's great. You know, when the son comes home, not everyone throws a party. Dad throws a party, but the older brother's mad. How dare you let him back in? Um, there'll be people in church who don't understand. I get that. So why would we do this? And here's what I'm asking you to do. I, I just want to tell you. Here, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you as a Thrive Service to go find all the people you know who don't know. And tell them. At the end of the day, guys, we've got to take responsibility for Thrive Growing. Chris does a great job, but it can't be on Chris. It's about us. Chris is one guy. He's got a network about this big. It's, we've got to go and tell. We've got to share. It's on us. It's our job to share the message. You know, and, and so why would we do it? You know, if people are offended by the cross and it's hard work and you've got to invest your time and I, got, I can't focus on myself, and, 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 you know, why would I do this? Well, we do it because God cares about people. God cares about lost people. You know, uh, this uh, passage is here in Luke 15. It says, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, at the end of the day, God, God doesn't care if y'all think I delivered a good sermon or not. He really doesn't care. I care. He doesn't. You know? God doesn't care if you thought the music is 
better if we do it in kind of Dollywood style there. Or if we do it in Chris style, God doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care. God doesn't care if, if, if you thought the temperature was just right or wasn't. He doesn't care if there was a great big offering tonight or a great big... God, I promise you, he didn't lose sleep. He didn't call the angels in and say, did you see what they put in the bucket? He doesn't do that. He doesn't care. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. It, he does not... We lose sleep over those things. He doesn't lose sleep over those things. But I want to tell you, he calls the angels together when one person gets saved. When one person puts their hope in Jesus and says, he's my treasure, I will trust him, I will follow him, I will deny myself, I will leave my pride, I will put my hope and my faith in him. When that happens, the angels rejoice. Now, God cares, and I, you know why else we do this? Because not only does God care about lost people, but we know what can happen to them. I hate telling this story, it's always such a bummer. Lisa, you know, I told you about Lisa. Here's what happened, I shared the gospel with Lisa, and she said, would I have to give up some things? And every part of me wants to say, ah, nah, just come on, it's good, it's easy, don't worry. But the truth kind of like has a way of not letting you, as a preacher, like rest. And I had to speak up and say, you might, I don't know. See, because it's not my job to tell her what God wants from her, that's God's job. And I said, you might. And she said, I can't do that. I don't know where Lisa is at. I don't know what Lisa did. I don't know. But I can tell you about another boy who was 10 years old, and he was kind of like Pee Wee, raised in... Uh, uh, my parents loved me, but they weren't godly. And uh, an elderly couple, 80-year-old couple, Melrose and Lucille Hazelwood, stopped by and picked me up. And for two years, I went to church, and I heard the gospel of Jesus. When I was 12 years old, I gave my heart and life to Jesus, and I felt that emptiness. I felt something was missing. I felt something was wrong, and I gave my heart and life to Jesus. And for, let's see, I'm 45, so for 33 years now, that's held water. It's never quit being enough, because I know he's enough. I pray you know it, too. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to share your word. I pray, God, that we would find our peace in you God for somebody here tonight Lord who doesn't know you I pray God that they would tonight Lord I don't deserve your salvation I don't deserve the fact that you have shown me the treasure of Jesus I'm the last one that deserves it Lord and Lord even since I've I found you to be my treasure. I still hadn't earned it. But yet, God, you've been faithful even when I'm faithless. And God, I pray tonight if there's somebody here who, who doesn't know, God, please speak to their heart. God, I, I give you this time and just ask you to be honored alone. Jesus name. Amen. What we're going to do right now is we're going to have a time of invitation. Um, at the night service, what we do for invitation is are several things going on. If you want to take communion tonight, you're welcome to do that. You can come, you can just do that on your own if you would like to. Uh, we give our offering at this time during, during the night service. If you want to come, there's no pressure. Uh, but if you want to come and give, you can give. Um, 
But the main thing we do at this time is we give you a chance to respond to the Word of God. And the Bible says that, that if any man is in Christ, he can become a new creation. Old things will pass away, and behold, all things come new. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to look in the mirror and look physically different, but if you give your life to Christ, there will be something that happens on the inside of you, and you will be a new person, and you'll know. All of those things that you put your trust in and your hope in, yeah, they'll be there, but they won't be nearly as important. You know, because Jesus will be your center, the center of your life. Maybe tonight you want to come and you want to give your heart and life to Christ. We had a young lady in the morning service today, uh, um, a little, probably a little younger than me, just gave her heart and life to Christ. So, you know, some people say, well, you were a 10-year-old boy. I'm way beyond that. Well, this was a 30-something-year-old woman today, gave her heart and life to Christ. My parents, who weren't believers, my dad was 49 years old. He accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He's teaching Sunday school today somewhere. Uh, my mom was baptized just a few years ago. She had been saved younger, but she had never been baptized. And she was 68 years old when she got baptized. You know, maybe you're here and uh, you've never been baptized. You know, I'd encourage you guys. I, I, I want people to know, man, I'm a believer. And that's what baptism does. It shows people I am a believer. Not my parents were believers or I'm a believer. So maybe you're here today and you want to make that commitment. Here's what will happen. You'll come forward and tell me I'm a believer, but I've never been baptized. We'll talk to you probably next week or the week after we baptize you. If you'd like to be baptized, you can come. Maybe you'd like to join this church. If you want to come, uh, I'd be glad to explain to you how you can be a member of the church. And, uh, and you, then you can make a decision if that's what you'd like to do. Um, maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. You can do that. We're going to stand and sing. If God speaks to you, won't you come right now?